Welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Van Zant Coffee, the best locally roasted, best tasting coffee out there. This stuff's great. I roast most of it. Well, besides Patrick, Rachel, Ashley, and Adrian. But uh, I wanted to make a coffee so good you could drink it black, and we've done that. This stuff's badass. VanZantCoffee.com to place an order. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Protein Paletas. This is a product that I carry at both of my CrossFit gyms. Uh, the founder is Greg Garcia, who's a Dallas police officer. And they are high-protein ice creams on a bar. So ice cream on a stick. And it's designed to be post-workout recovery snack. And it'll give you up to like 24 grams of protein. I know the vanilla one or the key lime pie. The vanilla one has 24 grams. Key lime pie, I think, has 21 grams of protein. Um, but I sell both of them. And from now till November, if you use coupon code ROBP2020, you get 10% off your order, and it helps fund local athlete Robert Perez's chance for a world record bench press attempt at the USPA National Championships in November in Claremont, California. So this is Greg Garcia's ProteinPaletas.com. Go on there, place an order, or you can buy them at uh, CrossFit Van Zant in Canton or CrossFit Van Zant South in Athens. Thanks for sponsoring, Greg. Without further ado, guys, here is my one of my favorite episodes I've done to date. I have my good friend and mentor, George Berg, who's 72 years old. He's here at the Lost Cody Ranch Bar. Please enjoy this episode. Yeah. All right. Hey, welcome, welcome to the show. Today I have George Berg with us. Uh, he's one of our members of CrossFit Van Zant. He uh, is a Vietnam veteran, and he's also a Black Angus cattle rancher. And he's mentored me a bunch uh, now that we have this ranch and have some Black Angus cows. He actually sold sold me some cows, registered Angus. So, uh, without further ado, George Berg. Well, Sam, it's good to be with you. Good, right. great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, I <laughs> hope it's fun and <laughs> and. Uh, Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, it's fun. So I just uh, pulled two cold Lone Stars yeah. um, out of the fridge for George. One Lone Star Light, matter of fact, the blue one, and uh, they're ice cold. And George told me the funniest Lone Star story, but uh, we got cut off. So why don't you tell it again? <laughs> yeah, I was working. I used to do uh, contract disputes, mm -hmm. lit litigation support, and I got sent to New York City with CRS Serene, a big architectural engineering firm. And my job was to investigate why things were going bad. They're having a lot of troubles on the project. Yeah. And it was the trading floors for Merrill Lynch at the World Financial Center, mm -hmm. right across from the old Twin Towers before they got knocked down. And we'd done a lot of work. And, and uh, that evening, the, the client said, hey, go out to dinner. And uh, dinner's on us, of course. Of course, it was anyway. They were paying all the bills. And uh, went to a really nice restaurant. I think it was 8th and 48th Street, upscale, and had a nice dinner. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, what are you, you going to drink? And I saw a sign that said Lone Star Beer in the middle of New York City. So did I said, well, I have. I did you <laughs> yeah. say it was like 8th and 24th Street? 8th and, th and 38th. 38th. Yeah, yeah it's downtown. We used to take a limo to the job site. It was amazing. Yeah. Stayed in the Holiday Inn, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was never so glad to get out of any place in my life. Anyway, I had this, uh, I had a beer, and I, th I thought it was, it was pretty funny that I had a Lone Star beer in New York City. So I, I said, give everybody in the house a beer on me. Let's, you know, of course, it was on the client. So that was that. <laughs> yeah, that was that. And 
I came back to Texas and I had another project for Amarillo Road up in Amarillo, Texas. And they were uh, a road builder, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, that night I went out to dinner at a really nice restaurant they had or had suggested. And I had a steak, of course, from in Texas. And uh, the lady said, well, what do you have to drink? And I said, well, I have a Lone Star. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in, back in the Lone Star State, and she's well, we don't serve Lone Star State. And I said, <laughs> what? You don't serve Lone Star beer? I've just been in New York City for the entire <laughs> summer, and they've got Lone Star beer. And uh, anyway, she kind of didn't think that was a pretty good idea. But anyway, I love Lone Star beer, and thanks for having me. It's good yeah. beer, too. Yeah, it is. It's one of my favorites, and it's relatively cheap, mm-hmm. you know. The only thing cheaper is the old Keystone Light, which I'll, if I'm in a, having a bad time, I'll grab some of that. You've got to be in uh, a really bad mood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, or financial straits, you yeah. know, if you will. Yeah. Um, where were you born, George? I was born in uh, Dixon, Illinois, my mom's hometown, and my dad was from Jacksonville, Florida. We were living in Jacksonville, Florida. He was a military guy, Air Force guy. And he he was stationed down in Jacksonville, where he was from. Uh, But my mom wanted to have uh, me near her mother in Mm -hmm. Dixon, Illinois. So we traveled all the way up to Illinois, uh, and that's where she had me in KSB Hospital. Um, And uh, I ended up uh, going to high school there, lived there probably nine years total in my life. Where is that in relation to Chicago? Well, it's about 90 miles due west from Chicago. And it's uh, rural, actually a really nice place. Farming, light manufacturing, mm-hmm. industrial. They have a cement plant that made Medusa Portland cement there. Good people, very solid. Uh, it's on the Rock River. The Rock River flows right through it. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a childhood home of Ronald Reagan. And my wife's uh, dad swam with Ronald Reagan. They're both lifeguards on that Rock River. And they saved, Ronald Reagan saved 76 people, and uh, her dad, John Crabtree, saved 73 people. So they were friends, played football together with Ronald Reagan. So so they were lifeguards. Yeah, they're lifeguards on this river. And uh, he almost beat Ronald Reagan's <laughs> record yeah. by three saves or four saves. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's kind of a cool thing. So you go to any, not in our house, but any of the other yeah. siblings of hers and there's Ronald Reagan memorabilia all over the place and but it's a good place and that's where I was born yeah and um yeah, Ash- uh, Ashley was a lifeguard at the uh oh v- yeah. Van Zant County Country Club and she went to a party uh, with one of the other lifeguards who's Chase Melton anyway that's how I met Ashley but you know I was wondering how that happened yeah. <laughs> yeah. you told me you did it on talent <laughs> yeah basically yeah basically <laughs> talent certainly wasn't going to be looks but no no she's a wonderful Definitely. girl <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, uh I have fun with her she's a great mm-hmm. coach too I actually all your people are great coaches Adrian um Ashley Brian mm-hmm. uh, Brian's one of my favorites of course because he's so mellow and so strong just yeah. encouraging to- you've put together a really good uh uh, group of people there it's a uh, positive reinforcing that's one of the reason i go it's a it's a happy place yeah. believe it or not i don't know how you can get so tired uh and feeling good uh and still be happy but i think everybody comes out of there with a smile on their face it's a secret thank you it whenever you work out and enjoy it you've really done something yeah you know and that's and that's what like a beginner 
it's it's usually uh, terrifying and uh, exhausting for a beginner. And once they get to where they start enjoying it, that's where they've won, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't uh, RX anything except getting out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and going there Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. And it's just a wonderful – there's a certain kind of person that gets attracted to that kind of activity. Yeah. And uh, they're all positive for the most part. Uh, people leave their troubles at home. They don't drop stuff on the, d- you know, people yeah. talk about stuff. I fool around with Bill all the time. It's a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have Bill Brooks on the on the podcast yeah, for w- sure. One of the sharpest ranchers I know. I mean, he's he's very sharp. I think he's done it for 50 years. Yeah. And uh, he knows every aspect of uh, grass, cattle, Showing cattle, preparing cattle. I mean, he's he's a sharp guy. He used to be an ag extension agent, right? Yeah, you bet. Bill's a good guy, and makes good steaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can cook. Yeah. All right. So high school, what'd you do in high school? I was uh, an underachiever academically. What? In what year was this in high school? Well, when, when were you in high school? What years <laughs> were we talking? Well, if you talk to anybody in my family, it was six years of high school. But (laughs) 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 I I did three eighth grades is the joke because I moved so much. I was in 14 different schools moving around. My dad was military, so we moved a lot, which I enjoyed. Um, In high school, I uh, ended up moving from Georgia, which was a segregated school, to uh, in 1963 in 64, and I moved to back to my hometown, uh, I guess I want to call it that, in 1965. So that made me a sophomore in high school, 65, 66, 67. I graduated in 67. And that I played sports, uh, football, basketball, tried to run track. Uh, my love was basketball, but I really, really ended up playing football. As a quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, not a bad one. Uh, varying degrees of success there. I had a really nice high school girlfriend, mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted her goal in life was to be married. Yeah. My goal in life was to not be married. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so one of the reasons I joined the Marine Corps out of high school uh, was um, I was prepared for it my entire life. My dad was military. My grandfather mm-hmm. left Texas in uh, August twenty second. 1918 to go to france as a world yeah. war one fighter pilot my uncle george was on the american yes side. yes yeah, okay yeah. yeah he was a fraternity brother joined the canadian army mm-hmm. and then when the americans got in the war he came back went to yeah. flight school down here in texas and then left for france and was a, f- a fighter pilot in world war one yeah because so, uh, in both wars before we actually got into war, a lot of a lot of young men went and enlisted in different country our allies armies. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. He, the entire senior class of Harvard's 1915 class, enlisted in the army, and half of them didn't make it home. So Harvard, all of the really cool schools, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, to go in the army, he w- he was a a, a a wonderful man. He was like the pinnacle of our family if that's the right word just so happened all the people that graduated west point that year went to the army (laughs) yeah yeah oh (laughs) without without a choice yeah (laughs) or with a choice i guess that's how they do yeah i want to hear about 
what made you go to West Point and that whole experience? It's fascinating to me. I'd love to hear about it sometime in detail. Right. But my dad was a military guy. I played football. Was a high school uh, president, senior class, best dancer, funniest, happiest, uh, uh, all of that stuff. Best dancer or what kind of dance? Well, anything. Man, I could do it, but uh, I don't do it anymore. I've retired completely. <laughs> I've totally retired. Uh, I can barely do a Texas two-step. Mine's about Texas half-step. I've never been able to do a, a two-step. It's. I want to learn, but... It's the most confusing thing to me ever. Yeah. Two-step. It's <laughs> not two steps. No. I always thought it was two steps on the left, one with the right. You know, yeah, so you it should go, be. You go two steps on the left, you go one on the right. But I do it with Ashley, and she's like, just just stop. Like, what are you doing? You know? And <laughs> I, the answer is, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. You'd think it'd be kind of a natural thing, but yeah. it seems like we even took dance lessons, or at least watched dance lessons, uh, to learn how to do the Texas two-step. That's the least thing we could do yeah. is learn how to do it. <laughs> we haven't done it. Uh, anyway, I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps out of high school. Um, I was driving down the road. I was going to a junior college. Why? Well, that's what, well. I told you about the high school girlfriend. I need to yeah. get out of town. <laughs> 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 and uh, my dad, of course, was a military. Yeah. My uncle so George. You didn't talk about your dad in the Air Force. Did he go to Korea or anything? Or, or is no, he he was he was uh, a B seventeen tail gunner. Uh -huh. in World War II, crash-landed in New Mexico, and he and the uh, Army Air Corps <laughs> decided that he probably shouldn't fly anymore. Mm -hmm. So he ended up being uh, in, believe it or not, public relations and recruiting. And he did that for 22 years and then got out and retired. But he was a good guy, really, really uh, very bright, real funny guy. And he kept working for the same... Uh, colonel all the time he would request my dad mm -hmm. to when the colonel got transferred he said well i want this guy to go with me so anyway that was um i was kind of it was a foregone conclusion since i was four years old that i was going to go in the military mm -hmm. i mean that's just the way it was all my uncles i have two uncles george they served gordon was my hero he served in world war ii uh, in the Pacific, of Guadalcanal, all of the all of the places that Marines went, mm -hmm. the Navy, uh, Seabees, construction battalion guys went. So it was just the thing that I was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. That was just the way it was. And um, I wanted to serve my country, get <laughs> get out of town. Uh, Did you know about Vietnam at that, at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. It was 1967. It was a mm -hmm. the, the war was on television every single night. The protesters on all the university campuses were yep. uh, screaming and hollering and protesting. And uh, it was just there was a, a certain kind of person that joined and a certain part kind of person that that was against the war. And I have still have friends that were against the war. I still like them. Mm -hmm. Don't don't regret it at all. I was I was for the war. I thought that uh, Vietnam was going to be overtaken by communists. And a lot of people would say that the the uh, domino theory was nonsense. Well, you know, it wouldn't have happened. Well, it did happen. The Chinese took mm -hmm. all of Manchuria, China, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. They they were moving down towards India. And uh, India was in peril. So I think it, for me, it was all, it'll always remain an ambivalent experience, a good mm -hmm. and a bad thing. 
I got to go to the GI Bill when I came home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a it was an interesting thing, and um, I got to see a part of humanity. Uh, in 1968, when I was there, it was the height of the war. Yeah. And we were losing two, three, four people a day, uh, and it was uh, a blessing. And I was with I was with the first battalion, 27th Marine Regiment, which were the mm. same regiment that went up Iwo Jima. Okay. And so we had this tradition to yeah. kind of you know. <laughs> Kind of follow, and we hear it. Oh, E. Jimmy, you know. So okay, well, okay, E. Jimmy. Yeah. Um, and that was so. It was a. It was a good thing. Good people. Yeah. Take me. Take me back though, George. Your first day in the Marine Corps. <laughs> take me back to where you went in. You you signed up to be a Marine. You go to a recruiter's office. I was driving down the road. Yeah. And I was going to the uh, to a junior college, and I and I picked up a. Uh, a copy of the Dixon Evening Telegraph, a newspaper. And mm-hmm. on the front page, they had a picture of mm-hmm. frozen in time yep. of an artillery fire base of these people loading uh, howitzer shells in a 155. And I hit the brakes as hard as I could, spun around in the middle of the road, went back, joined the Marine Corps that day, and I left the next day. On my birthday, November 8th. What kind of car were you in when you did that? I was in a Plymouth Satellite, yellow Plymouth Satellite. <laughs> Beautiful car. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds, sounds nice. Black leather interior. <laughs> no, it was a wonderful car. So the, ne- so the next day, so you sign up, and the next day you get on a bus. I'm at bus to Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Uh, I can do my pre-induction physical. And where are you? You're in Illinois? I'm in Illinois, okay. so I would have gone yeah. to Paris Island. Okay. So the guy said, if, if you cross the river... Mississippi River, <laughs> sign up in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, you can go to Camp Pe- or San Diego and then Camp Pelton. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I just I said, I'm done. I'm leaving. That's what I said I was going to do my whole life. I'm doing it. So <laughs> I ended up in, in Des Moines, Iowa. Next day, I'm on a plane to San Diego with papers in my hand with a bunch of other <laughs> stooges. Is this a, a commercial plane or yeah, a military com- plane? Yeah, commercial plane. And yeah. Uh, landed in San Diego the middle of the night, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, which yeah. is timed. The, the Marine Corps and Army does it too. They, has a, they have staff psychologists, mm-hmm. psychiatrists that figure out how to get in your head. Yeah. Right? And, they've been, and for you at West Point, they've been doing it for 100 years. Yeah. They got it down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you went through the mill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, everybody that joins the military goes through it. And some of the, and p- what people need to realize and kids that want to do it is, they're trying to break you down. Yeah. And they're going to break you down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to do it. They've been doing it. They're successful at it. I don't care if you're the best soldier that's, that's ever lived or the best Marine that's ever lived. They're Eventually, they're going to get to you. Mm-hmm. And they want to see you. And they want to break you down so they can build you back up. But they're just jacking with you. Oh, yeah. They, uh, <laughs> it is a pretty – it's a cuisine art. I mean, <laughs> they, they take part of your soul away and replace it with a, a rebuilt Sam. You know, it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember because I was a military guy, my first night in boot camp, I thought, well, it's not so hard. I was in great physical shape from football. Mm-hmm. And I had my uh, duffel bag, sea bag to me, on my shoulder. And I thought, well, the, the j- drill instructors were down screaming at somebody else, yeah. yelling, hollering at them. And, well, I got this made. I'll just slip this sea bag 
down off my shoulder. It's heavy. Yeah. And I just rested on the ground a little bit. Nobody will see me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a half a second. <laughs> it's terrible. It was a, and this, the senior drill instructor, uh, platoon commander Hensley, I'll never forget this guy, walked up to me, and he was drunk, of course, and spitting in my face and yelling, screaming, Oh, bad thing. I can't say I'm in, in, I'm in your house, yeah. so I can't say well, what he said. But he hit me so hard right between my eyes with his fist, just and cold cocked me, and I went, wow. <laughs> Welcome to the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> so different. It was different Marine Corps back then a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. uh, here's what I heard uh, years, years before me. It was the old Corps. Yeah. Now – I'm the old oh, core. Right. And these guys going through it now are going to be the old core. Eventually. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's consistently. So what do you, yeah, what do you think about people that say like, because they do that with West Point uh, as well. You know, they talk about it they're like, well, it's not as, the, they would say the, the core has, like the core has gotten over. Like now it's not even hard. What do you, what do you say about people that say the Marines are not even hard now? Nonsense. Yeah. So I have a, I have a, a friend that was in the Coast Guard, and so I watched a, a, uh, a YouTube thing on Coast Guard boot camp. It's just brutal. The Coast Guard. <laughs> the, the Coast Guard. <laughs> Everybody thinks, well, I, I just go to the Coast Guard, man. That's, no, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. It is just absolutely brutal uh, to go through that. So the Marine Corps, whatever formula they have uh, – to get you to to really pay attention mm -hmm. is it's a remarkable. Army's got it. I went to my nephew's graduation from uh, at Fort Benning mm -hmm. in Georgia. Uh, he went to the infantry school, and yeah. I and I and I uh, come on, I'm Marine. Yeah, your Army. Yeah. So I got naturally right. like. Yeah. So I was walking. Was he a, was he an officer? Or no, no, he, okay. he okay. was a he was a went infantry. The, went to the infantry boot camp. There. 11, yeah. 11, yeah, which is rough. Eleven yeah. Bravo. And my sand. It's called Sand Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, we were there, and I was walking down the street with my brother, who's a mm -hmm. lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and he's a distinguished guy. I mean, he's did really well. And we're walking down the sidewalk, and um, a Green Beret walked by, and I don't think he had his layer after layer of no, ribbons yeah. ribbon rack was like eight inches deep and and then my brother and i kind of like stepped off the sidewalk you know like whoa this no. guy's serious uh so it was a it was a good thing but uh good and bad yeah i think i think going in the in the military uh everybody benefits from it if they don't screw up mm-hmm and I think uh, you'd ask me, uh, you know, how did I do it? My first night in boot camp was just as terrifying as everybody else's. Yeah. You know, it's just this crazy stuff. So what? how old were you when you went to when you? Well, enlisted? I was 19. So you're 19 years old. Yeah, turned turned 20 on my birthday because I'd, 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 like I said, had 14 years mm -hmm. of school and supposed to have 12. So I was a little older, turned 20 on my first day. Uh, in boot camp, uh, went through that whole thing, mm -hmm. and then I wanted to be in the infantry. Yeah. O three eleven. You're eleven Bravo. You're yeah. an officer, so it's a little different numerical thing. But but that's what you sign up in the military to do. I wanted to. You know, and you know, people say, well, you know, when I got out, I had some marketable skills. Well, we do too. We're leaders. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh, I ended up 
and you're a good one, but I ended up developing leadership uh, academy, mm-hmm. leadership academy for construction foreman, project engineers, project managers that I taught for 17 years. And it was based entirely on Project Management Institute and military stuff. Yeah. And um, I was successful doing it. Um, just between you and me and anybody that's listening, I made a lot of money doing it. Yeah. And it was fun, and I enjoyed it. And I and I got skills from the military that I didn't think I was having. I know what people are going to do sometimes before they know what they're going to do. Yeah. You, you get that. You know, you've done As an officer, you had to evaluate Mm-hmm. Your troops, and you kind of go, oh yeah, here's a what's his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different personality type, different different character. Yeah, he's gonna choke <laughs> or won't choke. So how many? You went to to boot Marine boot camp in San Diego. Yep. How long before you went to Vietnam? Well, I went to the Marine Corps has what they call the School of the Infantry. Mm-hmm. It is in uh, Camp Pendleton, and it's a little bit more relaxed. But it was the height of the war, and they were looking for replacements really quickly. So I was in Zulu Company, and um, it's every night and every day you're learning the uh, the craft. You mm-hmm. learn how to sh- shoot differently. Uh, throw grenades, flamethrowers, rocket uh, uh, bazookas, they call them, I guess. Uh, you learn all that stuff. Uh, we went to counter guerrilla warfare school, which is really kind of crazy. Yeah. And then um, and I graduated. This was one of the nicest things that ever happened to me was out of a company of 250 people. I graduated number 10. I, I didn't I couldn't believe it. And I got promoted. So I was on kind of the fast track mm-hmm. uh, to NCO. Then from from there, I got to go home for, uh, I think, 30 days, which was really boring. Uh, it was the middle of winter, uh, not much going on. And then I flew to uh, Guam and then Okinawa, got shots to get you used to uh, the tropics, and then flew to uh, Japan and then to Da Nang, Vietnam, got off the plane, and I was just stunned by the odor. Stunned. What did it smell like? Uh, human waste. In okay. the in the gutters going along the roads. And I thought I was going to pass out. So I, then you, you go to a big old pole barn. And they tell you, well, get on this truck, get on that truck. And how, how hot is it at this point? About 100. 100 degrees, very humid. Yes, 90 per, 90% humidity, 100 degrees. And um, if you... And you're still in your stateside clothes, mm-hmm. your uniform. And you go, this is nuts. So you get in a truck and you go to your battalion area, which was like a Fort Apache, just a tents and a yeah. ditches and concertina wire. And you kind of stay there for a while. I trained on an M14. Mm-hmm. So now I had to learn how to use an M16. Yeah. yeah, and get all the kind of weapons of war updated while I was there. And then uh, after a while, you spend a week there getting kind of used to stuff. And then they fly uh, out to your <laughs> company yeah. in a helicopter. And um, I was pretty used to seeing clean people, mm-hmm. officers that are, you know, squared away. Yeah. And NCOs that are, you know, clean, shaven and stuff. And I wa- went out into the bush, landed the helicopter, unloaded the r- supplies, and I looked around, and I thought I was in a prison yard with these hobo-looking 
guys. Yeah. I mean, socks hanging off the trees, mm-hmm. people walking around in shorts, uh, and they look like crazy people. So uh, at first I was like, this is nuts. These guys are uh, barbarians. And I checked into some guy and I said, where's the, what do I do? And the guy said, over there. So I walked over and there was a lieutenant sitting under a tree. And uh, I said, well, sir. And he says, you know, it's kind of pointed, like go over there. And there was a, uh, a corporal. And I said, well, I'm Berg, I'm the new guy. And he says, oh, you know, and they don't like you, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. Because uh, you're a high risk. So he said, put your stuff over here. Uh, get ready. Get your poncho. You're going out tonight on your listening post. First so, hour. So they don't like <laughs> you because you're a high risk to them because you don't know the lay of the land. You don't know the what to do if somebody attacks the base. Is that, am I, is that accurate? Yes. You, you don't know anything. You don't know really how things work. You don't know shit. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, we better have another beer, Sam. Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's a, so it's a kind of a rude awakening. You go, yep. this is a real deal here. This is serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are uh, hired killers, and they were really good at it. So um, my first night, the guy – Sends me out in the listening post, and I walk about 100 yards out in the thing. He says, sit down here. Keep your eyes open. If you hear anything, talk on this little radio thing. That's okay. So I'm out there, and it starts to rain. So I put the poncho over my head, and I'm thinking, this is awful. I, I, I'm scared to death. Uh, my first night out in the bush, it's raining. And I'm on a listening post. This is insane. So the, the, L- the LPOP, or the listening post, is is how far outside the wire from the... Well, I, it, it seemed like 100 yards, but it was probably 50 yards. And it's and you're out there listening and looking for the enemy to yes. see him moving, to maybe starting to try to breach the wire or something. Or exactly. And, uh, <coughs> and it's raining, and you got your poncho. Yeah, and so the hood, the poncho is over my helmet, and you can't hear anything. You can't see anything because it's dark, it's green, and there's steam coming up from the from the ground. So I'm laying there, and I'm sitting on a log or behind a log, and I think I've been there two hours, supposed to be there four. And the next thing I know is a K-Bar Marine combat knife was mm-hmm. around, this is a true story, was around my neck, and the guy pulled my helmet up over the log, and he said, and I'll code this, uh, if you ever fall asleep on the listening post, I will slit your throat myself and fill in your own explic explic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of our sergeants. Yeah. Uh, orienting me to the field. Hey, welcome to Vietnam. Yes. And if you fall asleep, we're all gonna die. Yeah. And so I wasn't asleep. I yeah. wasn't even thinking about falling asleep. It was, this is how much control I have over you, and this is how serious this is. Yeah. And uh, so after that, I the guy came out in a couple hours and relieved me, and I spent the nest <laughs> rest of the night leaning up against a tree looking around. <laughs> He's like, what's next? Yeah. So welcome to Vietnam. And um, it was a— <laughs> It's funny. I, I went on a mission in Afghanistan, uh, and my recon team was out on a mountaintop overlooking a, a road, and— we we got dropped off before dusk. We were there all night long. 
and we had to do a mission there the whole next day. But I was I was in a defensive perimeter, and I kept crawling to each one of my men. And, and believe it or not, some of them were snoozing. Yeah. And I said essentially the same thing to them, minus the knife around their neck, minus my hand on them. <laughs> but I, I, I poked them in the side, and I said, look, don't you effing fall asleep, or they'll come up here and they'll effing slit our effing throats. And they did. And they will. And they will. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. So th- it was, um, for me, it lasted. The op- uh, We didn't use this word then, but you guys did. It was operational tempo. It was maddening. It was 14 to 18 hours a day of walking. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, Basically, we're on uh, about 13 miles south by southwest of Da Nang, which is up north, mm-hmm. uh, along the coast, uh, along the coast and, and inland. And uh, it was one thing after another, and it, ne- it just never stopped. And it was just like, okay, next, okay, next, All okay, right. next. So you would go out every day pretty much, and then you'd have one day back? No. Or no, no day back. I was four, four months and ten days uh, with one day back. It was dig a hole, sleep there. Get up the next day, go on a patrol, mm-hmm. dig another hole, sleep there. So you're constantly patrolling. Constantly. And you're you're in a patrol base whenever you go to sleep. Obviously, there's somebody on guard, but you're out in the bush. You're not back at a no. at a base. No. And the patrol bases were there was a couple permanent patrol bases, which were there was a built up berm wall, mm-hmm. and eventually somebody put guard towers in them, but they were dangerous because. Yeah. Yeah, they were all dialed in. Yeah, dialed in. They knew where they're, yeah, dialed in, meeting with mortars and snipers. They knew where you were going to be. They could, yeah. Okay. We had, (laughs) in fact, one of them was a guy named uh, Crane Davis. He was a brand new lieutenant, good guy, um, set up his whole organization, his command post, in one of those patrol bases. Mm -hmm. When an hour later, that a mortar round came in and hit his Navy corpsman directly. And Crane Davis, Lieutenant Crane Davis, was sleeping right next to him. Didn't kill Crane Davis, but it killed this mortarman or this medic mm-hmm. Navy corpsman and a bunch of people around him. And then Crane, da- and we, call it, uh, we call it Fort Apache. That whole area was uh, hot. I mean, there was a lot of activity there all the time. So we just kind of walked around mainly... We were so depleted in terms of people mm-hmm. that uh, a a Marine squad is 12 people. Mm-hmm. We were six, maybe six, four sometimes. So we we can't, we did what we call sparrowhawks or there's some other bird name for them. And we just go out at night and sit. Four people overlooking a vill, um, kind of seeing if anything was going on. Uh, so we, we, we had to temper the patrolling because there just wasn't enough people. Everybody was yeah. a, everybody was a casualty at some point. So w- when you went on patrols, what did you carry? What what did you wear? Well, we were supposed to wear flak vests uh, <laughs> and a helmet and carry two canteens and uh, a bandolier, which was a cloth bandolier with extra magazines in it, four or five magazines. It was so hot. Uh, the the heat casualties were extreme. Yeah, uh, half the people were were just heat casualties. So, 
I typically would wear a soft cover, um, one canteen. Uh, I had a gas mask pack that I took the gas mask out, threw it away, and I put sea ration peaches in it. <laughs> For snack. Yeah. yeah, fruit fruit cocktail peaches. Yeah. And then uh, two or three magazines of ammo because you couldn't do it. Yeah, we it's all too had heavy. Yeah, we all had jungle rot. We all had immersion foot. Uh, everybody was uh, wounded somehow. You didn't if you were wounded with just shrapnel or bullet wound, you came back. I mean, you'd go to the yeah. hospital a couple of days. We had guys walking around uh, with slings on their arms, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was uh, it was intense that way. But the heat was. Um, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like East Texas in, <laughs> in August. <laughs> you know? well, East maybe, Texas in August. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little hotter, but yeah, uh, and nobody was shooting at you in East Texas unless you're in the wrong bar. The uh, mosquitoes. Uh, yes, and and that one of the things that I dislike now is mosquitoes and rats, mm-hmm. because the rats were enormous, uh, and they would um, if you if you were. I- someplace any it, for very long uh they'd figure out that you had food yeah and they'd come crawling around and um i remember uh on a patrol we kind of went into a p- old pagoda bombed out pagoda and they had an altar and because i was the squad leader or the uh, fire team leader i got to <laughs> lay on the altar thinking well they're yeah. not going to get me well the rats did and i remember brushing one off my chest and he dug his claws into my chest <laughs> as oh. I raked him off just like oh so I can't stand rats and I hate mosquitoes yeah but we had uh mosquito repellent that was supposed to uh keep the mosquitoes off of you but you put some of it so much of it on you that it would eat your skin off yeah the deep the in the in the yeah, yeah. In the thing that's really the only stuff that works though for a little while yeah. I, I had that at Fort Benning too I, I would just but, but it's so it's so damn toxic. I mean, it burns your skin when you put it on, especially if you have a sunburn. You know? Yeah, and it r- comes down your arms, gets in your crook yeah. of your, ar- your elbow and burns your skin. Definitely causes cancer, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that was at least a... Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was kind of hoping to get cancer, yeah. maybe. Right. Get <laughs> me out of here. One of the stories I had from my, my deployment, uh, I had these pet monkeys in Afghanistan, and uh, I remember one time I... My uncle, who's a veterinarian, Travis Dean in, in Wills Point, he sent me a letter and he was like, you know, or he told my dad or somebody talked to me. And they were like, hey, I wouldn't play with those monkeys if I were you because they'll have a disease and they'll give you, give you some type of disease. And I was like, I didn't reply to him. But yeah. I said, well, yesterday an RPG just flew right over my face. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to these monkeys are <laughs> actually making this fun or, you know, you know, just they're lightening the mood a little bit. That's the least of my worries yeah. is, is the monkey sickness, you know. I was kind of hoping I'd get a monkey sickness. <laughs> <laughs> get over here, buddy. Yeah. Huh? But but I will say, you know, obviously what I did was nothing compared to uh, Vietnam. And, man, I can't imagine. So is there, was there somebody that you – all right, so you were green on that first day. But how did you start learning the ropes? Was there somebody that you leaned on? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. We had – because the attrition was so high – I had a variety of squad leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracis Pajeda, he was from Lithuania. His brother was a, uh, a captain in the Russian Army. Uh, Lloyd Fernand, I call him Hollywood. He's still a Facebook friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty Garcia, who saved my life. 
uh, by pulling a, grade, a grenade out from underneath me when nobody else would. Uh, Dracy Pajeda, uh, Mar Martin Garcia, and Lloyd Fernand were three uh, that were real strong guys. And then there was another guy named uh, Stork. I can't remember his first name, but he was a pretty funny guy. Um, nobody, nobody liked him. Yeah. But he was a pretty, I, 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 you know, when artillery or mortars come in, you kind of want to go, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. Well, you find some guy that looks like he knows what he's doing mm -hmm. and you follow him. Um, and uh, he, we had, got mortared one night on one of these patrol bases. Mm -hmm. And uh, boom, 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 mortars coming in. And then the story goes that a young Naval Academy graduate, Marine lieutenant mm -hmm. called in artillery, danger close. Yeah. Short round. Well, a short round blew up in our perimeter, and uh, everybody was diving in a hole. But one of the holes was too full, mm -hmm. and a young black guy dived on top of the hole. And probably eight guys in it, and it sliced one of his butt cheeks off. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a rebellion because they thought that that officer was incompetent. Yeah. So they plotted against him and uh, eventually fragged him, mm. took him out. Uh, but, but, you, but you think it was a short round, it mean, I know. Me, meaning they hung the round. It was an accident, which, Ab which happens. Absolutely an accident. Yeah. And there's no evidence that uh, that guy was actually fragged uh, and people talk about it, uh, and I prefer to think that he was not, mm -hmm. and I absolutely know that he did not uh, miscalculate. Uh, yeah, it was a short round; wasn't his fault. We had we had a, a an NCO in our battalion get killed. Sergeant Pinnich got killed by a hung mortar round, one of our own rounds. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's embarrassing. It's awful, and it's like fratricide. It's like, oh. Yeah, nobody wants to. Yeah, what a way to go. It sucks. Yeah. It, um, the, uh, go ahead. Well, it ruins a guy's career, the officer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it does, yeah. especially when they kill him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoever the fire control officer was is like, oh, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the end of that. I tried to call in artillery one, or mortars one time from Hill 55, mm -hmm. and I got, on the, I got on the hook, and I was, you know, there was, people in front of us, I said, well, I'll call in our mortar rounds. So I got on the, the radio uh, to Hill 55, which is a fire base for mm -hmm. mortars, and uh, I recognized the guy's voice. It was a guy named Ito. He was in my platoon in boot camp. He was a Japanese guy, plum farmer. There's Ito, Dean, Pounding, and Askew joined the Marine Corps together, and Ito ended up being a mortarman. So going, <laughs> Ito, is that you? Yeah. We're just kind of BSing and yeah. talking and laughing. Hey, yeah, man, good. what are you doing? It's, oh, yeah, I was supposed to call in artillery or mortar rounds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he said, okay, we'll put a Willie, Willie Peter in it, which is that white phosphorus yeah. marker rounds. And he goes, shot out. I go, okay, yeah, shot out. Stand by. I'm looking out forward. It lands about 100 yards behind me. And I'm going, check, fire, check, fire. Last time I ever tried to call in a mortar. Yeah. I, I said, you know what? I'm not very good at this. It's difficult. Yeah. I, I, I got the coordinates wrong. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been me. You know? Absolutely. How long, how long um, 
before you were you got two purple hearts, right? Yeah. The the uh the 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 first one was going to get two marines uh, that had died. Mhm. Uh we th- there was an uh, a combat patrol walked into an entire company of North Vietnamese army that had infiltrated across the Song Thuy Bon River. Built an entire compound without us figuring out that they were there mm-hmm. underground. These uh, a Marine patrol walked into it, not behind it, beside it, into it. And that started this mass firefight. Well, it was just crazy. So our our folks, me and a bunch of other people, geared up and we went out and started taking care of business and shooting it up. Mm-hmm. And had to bring their bodies back in. Two really, really uh, wonderful young Marines. Well, and the, when we were going out there, they had an M79 grenade launcher. Yep. That they captured, the North Vietnamese Army guys captured it, shot it back up, and hit me in the arm. But it was like, who cares? You know, just. It didn't go off, the, the, but the round. No, it went off. It went off. The shrapnel hit you in the arm. Yeah, the shrapnel okay. hit me in the arm. Okay. And then we took those guys back. That was uh, August in 1968. The next one was a day patrol, believe it or not. Uh, and I got a bunch of young Marines. By now, I'm salty. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. You've been there how long? Uh, f- about five months. Okay. And <laughs> it, it doesn't take you very long <laughs> to, <laughs> to get to – get, uh, either through people getting casualties or you just getting smarter. But anyway, I was taking this patrol out. Had Vietnamese Marines, four new Marines, me, and uh, uh, a point man who's a seasoned veteran. His name is Joey. I won't give you the last name. Okay. So we're walking along, and um, I look down, and I see this piece of toilet paper, tissue paper, kind of balled up. Mm-hmm. And I look down, and there's a spider hole about eight inches in diameter with this piece of toilet paper sitting right beside it. And I went, O-M, they're underground. Yeah. And I said, all right, everybody hold up, hold up. And right about then, we started smelling bodies, dead people. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joey was in front of me. He was a point man. I was back. And Joey started walking forward. And over here was a, a big sandbar kind of with some bamboo here, and we're walking on this kind of semi-trail thing. We just stayed off trail, but we're walking there, and I went, this is not good. So I said, everybody down till we figure this out, because I knew they were under us mm-hmm. and around us. But Joey kept walking, and because out in the open clearing were dead North Vietnamese Army officers with packs and cool knives and all kinds of stuff on them, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of cool to be walking around with a, a North Vietnamese Army knife or a pack. Or yeah. I used to clean my rifle with a toothbrush. Their toothbrushes yeah. <laughs> take their stuff and yeah, use it. Yeah. French toothpaste, really good. Yeah, they're trying to take yours, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he went out there to kind of see what was going on. And I said, Joey, you got to stop. Stop. Hold up. He didn't do it. He just kept walking towards those bodies and I screamed at him, Joey, and then I walked out into the clearing, and Joey uh, tripped a bouncing Betty landmine. 
went up. All I saw was Joey cut in half and a big plaque thing of black smoke. And I turned and it got me on the left side of my body. So knocked me out, knocked out my teeth, knocked out my eyes, leg, arms. I couldn't move. So I'm face down in the in the sand. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, my mom's really going to be disappointed. And I said, and I felt around my mouth. And I said, oh, my teeth are gone. I said, this is not good either. I really like my teeth. They were, they were pretty cool. And so, uh, you know, and I've told you this before. I don't pray much. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of wore out my welcome in that regard. So I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise I will never swear again, which was one of my luxuries. Yeah. I love it. So I laid there and I went, wow. And all of a sudden, believe it or not, I got this burst of energy. And I crawled towards the edge and I told those other Marines, I said, get your K-bars and your bayonets out. Go in there, look for mines, stab for mines, and get that Marine out of there. And they did it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And they did it. Yeah. So they crawled out there and get it. And then nobody knew. Everybody was new. So that nobody knew how to use the radio to switch it from communications net to medevac net. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm bleeding through my mouth, and I'm calling this thing, rocking the blood out of the handset, and shorting it out or whatever you call that. Finally, I get through to the medevac freak, and the guy says, well, what are your coordinates? I went, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so he got airborne, and... Uh, so he flew right over us, and I said, you know, I got on the net again. I said, hey, turn around. I mean, I'm civilian right about now. Yeah. I said, turn around. You just flew over us, and he said, well, pop some color smoke. I said, Are you kidding me? I said, we're going to pop whatever smoke we got, and I just land the SOB. Yeah. So he landed, and we got on there, and they just piled us all on there. I think it was five or six people were uh, a couple guys were killed and a couple guys were wounded. <laughs> they pounded us, put us on there like old pieces of ham. <laughs> and the worst part of it, well, the worst part of it was that I was laying in a pile of fire ants, Asian fire ants, and they were mm. all over me. And my clothes were smoking, and these ants were calling on me. I'm going, you know, could this get worse? Yeah. Not really. Uh-oh. Uh Murphy's coming back Murphy's in. Murphy's here. I like the Murphy. Anyway, that was that was that. And then I, I got aerovac to uh, Da Nang, uh, and an Air Force uh, medic told me to shave my mustache off, and, and I hit him, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and then uh, and it with a lot of profane language. Mm -hmm. And then I got medevac to the 109th uh, Army Hospital in Japan. Yeah. Then from Japan to Alaska to Alaska to. Uh, Naval Air Station in uh, Illinois, uh, whatever it's called. Great Lakes Hospital. I was there for five months. And I was in all the wards. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. And then I finally got out. There was a, a thing that said if you weren't forward deployable and you had a combat arms MOS mm -hmm. and you weren't going anywhere, uh, did you want to get out? Because I was, I was hanging around medical holding company doing nothing. Opening doors. Morning, yeah. In a sling. Mm -hmm. And dress blues. Yeah. Morning, sir. Just salute. Yeah. yeah. And uh, by that time, I'd had enough war for uh, a while. 
So they said, do you want to, uh, we want you to get out if you want to get out. And I said, see you. And yeah. uh, hopped the train, <laughs> got a, ran to the train station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. Oh, yeah. Ran, and uh, met this girl that I knew in high school named Julie Heaton. She's just a, an angel. And we talked on the train. And that was my first kind of like, oh, wow, a human being. This is kind of cool. And that was the end of that. And then that was uh, that was my deal. And then I walked in the so, house, and my mom said, hey, sorry to tell you, but your friend Denny Dawson was killed yesterday in Vietnam. Oh, oh God. It, you know, he was a real good friend. Mm -hmm. And so I hopped in my car and drove to New Mexico. <laughs> drove to Juarez. <laughs> <laughs> tell me <laughs> tell me about um, – man, this is – Good conversation. I'm glad. I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's uh, you know, I know you 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 got some interesting stuff, and I want to hear about uh, your decision to go to West Point, your decision to go to Ranger School, which is just awesome, uh, and then uh, to be a an infantry officer, and then long range reconnaissance patrols in Afghanistan, which is. Uh, Cold, lonely, hard, granite, fatiguing, mm -hmm. insane. And then being an officer, and I had an option to go mm -hmm. to OCS. And I just, I, I, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I, I did not want the responsibility to be uh, godlike. Because that's, you have the responsibility of people's lives in your hand. Every decision you make uh, yeah. is... Well, you know, you've done it. Yeah, it's it's that's the difference, the the responsibility portion. Tell me uh, before we get off the Vietnam thing, if you would, about the landmine. <laughs> the landmine, uh, landmines. You know this too, but a bouncing Betty was invented by the Germans in World War II, and we we don't know whose minefield that was. Mm -hmm. It could have been American to keep the North Vietnamese Army from moving to take Da Nang, which is called the second Tet Offense in mm -hmm. late 1968. But they, but they attach, uh, they bury it. It's about 55-pound uh, disc full of powder. If you trip, there's, they connect them with wires, and then there's three prongs. Mm -hmm. And if you step on those prongs or pull one of the... Uh, wires that it goes up in the air about four feet explodes and kills everything within 30 50 feet and it's they're nasty i looked down just before joey got it i looked down and my foot was that far away from it yeah i was almost stepped on one myself mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately he did uh, for him but they're terrible nasty Things we had, th uh, the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong were pretty good. We're probably just as good, but they were using booby traps all the time, and uh, I sat on one. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, we were on a a, a, a patrol, a, a kind of a company sweep, and we were online mm -hmm. echelon moving forward, and we were out in an open field, rice field that was dry. And we started taking typer, sniper rounds. So everybody hit the ground. Mm -hmm. We're down to the thing. And I'm sitting there thinking everybody was shooting. And I'm going, oh, yeah, this is ridiculous. 
why am I going to shoot back? I just my gun's going to jam. Mm-hmm. Then I have to clean it. So I laid there and just laughed and kind of fooled around with the guy laying next to me, black guy, and we were laughing our ass off, just thinking, oh, this is so stupid. So finally, the, the sniper fire and our fire stops, and we're moving forward. Well, there had been a combat refusal. A guy threw down uh, a bandolier of machine gun ammunition, and another guy took a Starlight Scope case, which is a scope that you can see at night, mm-hmm. too heavy. These guys were exhausted. Uh, I didn't like them in the first place. And so they did a combat refusal. I'm not going for any farther. I'm taking all this heavy weight off, and I'm not going to carry it anymore. I quit. Well, you're going to get all of us in trouble. So I picked up the bandolier of uh, uh, machine gun ammunition and the starlight scope, and I put it on me, and I started towards what was the old National Railroad. We call it the B&O Railroad. Uh, and it was a berm wall, which is the old French railroad for moving uh, silk and all kinds of, you know, sugar cane, all that stuff. But it was an, it's in disrepair. So I started up the berm wall over where the tracks used to be, and I found a comfortable spot on the on the reverse side of the slope and under some nice shade trees. And I said, well, okay, let me sit down. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and waiting for the rest of the people to catch up because some of them were slugs. <coughs> and I felt this thing uh, on my butt. And it wasn't on a butt cheek. It was between. I'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking, how the hell did I sit on a rock? And I reached down. And as I reached for it, I I got hold of a nylon fishing line. Mm. And I went, wow, that's kind of weird. So I kind of yanked on it. And it pulled on. And I went, uh-oh, it's a booby trap. So what the, the the Vietnamese would do, would take an old C-ration can, take an M26 American grenade, cut the fuse to zero, pull the pin, and have the spoon suppressed by the cup. And if somebody pulled on the line, it would pull it out, the spoon would fly, and because the zero was z- with the fuse was zero, it'd go off immediately. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and thinking, oh, man, and all of a sudden I yell, booby trap. And or grenade, and I kept yelling, "Get away! Get away! Get away! Get away!" And Marines, man, they they ducked, never looked behind trees at me, thinking, "Wow, this guy's gonna blow up. This is cool." And uh, so I just sat there with both hands holding this thing tight, thinking, "Wow, again, I'm mm-hmm. gonna get it. Yeah. Here we go again." And so I'm thinking, "Well, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never <laughs> swear again." <laughs> So this guy from Texas, from Alice, Texas, name is Marty Garcia. He's a lawyer down South Texas. He was a squad leader at the time because my other squad leader just got blown up. His name was uh, Lloyd Fernand, June 7th. Comes up behind me, and uh, he is a a Mexican-American, but he's half Comanche. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he's a rough guy. (laughs) (laughs) And and he was putting on this real fakey. Mexican accent, like, hey, senor, you don't move like that, man. I got you out of this shit, man. I got you. <laughs> and so he knees down and grabs hold of my hands and uh, compresses them as hard as, I mean, he was crushing my hands. I wasn't moving. And uh, he said, kind of, you know, let go, let go, let go. So finally I let go, and he pulls the whole assembly up. He's holding a grenade in the can. Yeah. Pulls it up, and it takes a, 
uh, he's got the grenade now. He's depressed the spoon. Takes the safety pin off a bandolier, sticks it in there, and flips me the grenade. <laughs> 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 and I'm shaking like, oh, man, I can't stand it. And, and uh, then another young officer comes up to me and says, hey, don't you give commands. I'm the one that tells people <laughs> to go and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going, oh, you got to be kidding me. And uh, I got really mad, and uh, I don't know what I was doing. But anyway, somebody bear hugged me and just dragged me off. Yeah. And that's that was the end of it. And um, so I've been trying to get Marty Garcia, Bronze Star, since 1968. Uh, and nobody knew anybody's name. There was no other witnesses. I wrote my Congress, my dad. I wrote yeah. my dad. My dad wrote my congressman, who at the time was Everett Dirksen. We resubmitted the whole thing. In fact, I got letters that I wrote my mom and dad, yeah. uh, you know, certified the whole thing and uh, sent it in. And I think the Marine Corps Awards and Decorations has to have for Bronze Star eyewitnesses. Well, you know. And then uh, some of his friends down in Alice, Texas, uh, Rubio, Rio Rubio, I think is the guy's name, is still trying to work on it. But uh, Marty Garcia was a stud. I mean, he still is. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I met him at a, a reunion in Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> I would think that, you know, that move there would probably be Bronze Star with Valor. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. instead of just Bronze Star. But well, because everybody else, everybody else, didn't move. Nobody would move. Yeah. Everybody thought, well, there, there goes old what's-his-name. Uh, he's gone because uh, I couldn't get out. But he, he, he was the guy that stepped up. and yeah. He was at high risk. If you still have all the paper and stuff, well, I can, Mike can help you with the, our congressman. Well, I'd like uh, to do it because, because uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, it'd be great for him. Yeah. It's, it, he's, he's a good guy. His daughter went to texas a&m and she's now a lawyer uh and i think he's down in alice not yeah i think it's alice texas mm -hmm. um enjoying life he got blown up a couple times himself i mean he's in yeah he's in pretty bad shape uh <coughs> but he's a good guy lloyd fernong he's another good squad leader um uh, he got blown up june 7th came back Martin Farmer, officer, he came back. We had a guy named Skipper. I call him Skipper, Skipper. In, in the Marine Corps or Navy, mm -hmm. officers called Skipper. Mm -hmm. well, he got blown up. He came back. So a lot of these guys, uh, you know, a couple of the people that were in my unit had been there already twice, were on a boat back to the United States. The Tet offensive hit. Uh, and they were shipped back to Vietnam. They were discharged from the Marine Corps. Wow. Yeah, and they were... <laughs> Pulled back in. Yeah, and you can imagine the attitude. Yeah. So if you think you were around a bunch of uh, maniacs, you were. Yeah. Because uh, they weren't happy. They were no happy campers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was my, that was my deal. It's a it's a, it's an it's a wild thing to be in the in the, in the infantry, um, because that's what you you're around a bunch of killers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and you know, there's no way good way of saying it other than p 
people that are literally trained to kill people. Yeah. Physically fit men that, you know, drink a lot, like to get in fights, you know, um, cuss. You know, every, there's... There more than there's more cussing than the, than non-cuss words going yes. going out. Yeah, and they have your own language. There's and, uh, there's one there's one word that begins kind of with an F that is an adjective, an adverb, a noun, a pronoun. Uh, it, it's every part of speech. Yeah. That you can imagine, and it's not something I'm proud of, and I'd like to delete it from vac from your vocabulary. But uh, if you're a, a eleven Bravo or uh, in infantry. It's part of your vocabulary. Now right. you're not supposed to cuss as an officer, right? But of course, sometimes, sometimes we're all we're all sinners, George. Yes, <laughs> I've had my. <laughs> I told Ashley this morning I was I'm I'm deep in this in the word again uh, at night. That's how I pass my time at night because yeah. I don't want to watch television and yeah. and the avalanche and the. Dallas Stars play tonight, so. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm catching up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trying to read all you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That's tough. T- time's running out. <laughs> hey, you got to <laughs> yeah, you gotta get your affairs in order. Oh, yeah. All right, so you got out of the Army, or got out of the Marines, sorry. Yeah, yep. uh, Got on a bus, or got on a train. Yep. Where'd you, where were you headed? I headed back to that hometown. I yep. took up a job as a night watchman on a golf course, which I helped build when I was in high school, called Lost Nation, mm-hmm. uh, oddly enough. And then um, an old friend um, who was at the University of Colorado uh, who also worked on that golf course, name was Jeff, uh, said, hey, let's take a summer class at, the, at college. And I said, man, I'm, I'm just not cut out. I was still wired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a crazy man. And um, I said, no, man. He said, well, you can get your GI Bill. You know, it's free for you. Why don't you go to, come on, man. I need somebody to sit in class with me. It was taught by a professor named Lee Frederick. He had a master's degree in psychology, working on his Ph.D., and he wanted to be a basketball coach. That was his thing, but he mm-hmm. did this to think. So I sat in class, and I was horrible, unruly, giving him just enormous amounts of grief, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, you know, and I got a C. And after the class, he came up to me and said, you know, you really ought to stick with this. And I went, huh, college. Really? College. Maybe I will. And then I had a friend's mother, Jan and Sandy Gertis. I was over at their house fooling around. This is after the war. And I said something, and uh, Sandy and Jan's mother said, you know, you're not as dumb as you think you are. Because I wasn't a best student in high school. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun, but I wasn't a good student. And between her and and Lee Frederick, I said, huh, maybe I will. And so I, I signed up full-time for that fall, <coughs> and I was the only veteran in the entire junior college. So I sat by myself at a table because nobody talked to you. It was the hippie generation. They were anti-war. Yeah. How old are you right now? I'm and, 21. And 21, okay. And I should have been 20, but I was 21. Yeah. And so I sat by myself at this table and, uh, you know, did my studies in biology and whatever I felt like taking because, you know, what the hell. And um, then I walked into this English class, and there was this professor named David Lovkin. He was absolutely brilliant. He's also taught ethics and philosophy. 
And I walked into the class, and he stopped me at the door, and he said, Welcome, Mr. Berg. Son of a bitch knew my name. And I went, uh-oh. And he ended up being uh, a mentor. I took mm-hmm. every class that guy had. And that the j- little junior college was brand new. It was just full of motivated young teachers that had just gotten their master's or PhDs, and they were coming from all over, and they were extraordinary. My wife went there. We counted in our family. Pretty su- There's a bunch of successful people in our family, a bunch of lawyers and dentists and doctors mm-hmm. and the whole deal, if that's what you – no ranchers. <laughs> 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 and uh, there are a lot of successful people in me, uh, but 13 of us benefited from that junior college. What was the name of it? Sock College in in outside Dixon, Illinois, and it was a it was a really cool place. And then I ended up at Colorado State. And uh, so, how did you get to Colorado State? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was a I I got a construction degree and a liberal arts degree there. Mm-hmm. I had a GI Bill. Why not? Yeah. So I ended up as a uh, working for a really cool contractor. I was 25 years old, and I run daily operations of this nice construction company called George Linquist. And uh, they had some union trouble, and so they laid off everybody for a while, and they asked me to come back and be the shop manager, which I was, uh, which was a really cool job for that thing. It paid well, and I had a lot of responsibility. I said, nah, I'll try something different. So I got uh, hired at a nuclear power plant under construction in Byron, Illinois, being a cost and scheduling engineer. And I, you know, I kind of knew stuff, so I f- figured I'd be pretty good at it, and mm-hmm. I liked it. It was fine. But uh, the boss was named Marty McKinney, and he was from Alabama. The Blunt Brothers was the company, and they were from Alabama, and he and I didn't get along real well. Uh, and so I was at a garden party uh, at a friend's older brother's house, and uh, he came up to the guy's real a jerk, um, and he said, "Well, what are you, what are you doing?" Working at a nuclear power plant uh, construction. I said, well, you know, get me. A, he said, you should be in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't you get me a job, and, and maybe I will go to Colorado. It was 1977. So that was Saturday night, and he was cocktailing it, of course, and mm-hmm. being a jerk. <clears throat> so he called me Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, and said, oh, i got two jobs for you in Durango, Colorado. <laughs> awesome. So I walked into my job and said, well, i got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm heading to Colorado. So I packed everything. I All my car tools, carpenter tools, and stuff. drove to Durango, Colorado, and I worked there uh, building the Edelweiss condominiums and then moved up to uh, up below Aspen to a little tiny town called Basalt. It's on the Roaring Fork and the Flying Pan River working for construction management consultants. Uh, and my job was to inspect all of the schools that had been built that were done incredibly bad. So many mistakes in all the junior high schools, uh, grade schools in the valley had been done by an architect named Lincoln A. Jones. Well, he screwed up every single one of them. So my job was to monitor the remediation contractors, to go around and make sure they were doing something correctly. And uh, so I just traveled from school to school, yelling at the contractors and catching them doing stuff. And <coughs> that was kind of cool. 
then I ended up going to Colorado State and getting a job with uh, Hensel Phelps, which is a huge uh, construction company. I got a scholarship. In fact, one semester I got every single one of them. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I applied for them all. Yeah. And I uh, got an internship with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which is cool. So that, that was kind of cool. And then uh, ended up working for Hansel Felt for a couple of years, about five years. And then uh, working for CRS Serene, which was the largest architectural engineering firm at the time in the United States. And my job, again, was working on really bad projects. Mm -hmm. Because I'd had this early experience. It's, oh, do you know anything about contract disputes and claims? I said, well, yeah. Well, here's 14 of them. Because Serene Engineers, and uh, their headquarters in Houston, made billions of dollars building the university system in Saudi Arabia. So they had tons of money. So they came back to the United States and said, well, we're good architects. Why don't we buy an engineering firm called Serene out of South Carolina? Oh, and by the way, why don't we buy a whole bunch of construction companies? Well, bow-tied-wearing architects with mm -hmm. the little hats mm -hmm. and engineers with pocket protectors and contractors with pickup trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Three different, distinctly different cultures. Yeah. <clears throat> so... They, uh, they bought a bunch of really bad projects because they're dumb. They're really stupid. They couldn't, they didn't know what, all the tricks that contractors know how to inflate. Yeah. So my job was to bail those projects out. It took five years. Uh, and I learned a whole bunch working with lawyers. That's, that's what I did was work with lawyers. So uh, ended up in California bailing out big projects. Uh-huh. Con, uh, big prison projects, Corcoran, uh, maximum security lockdown, level five, big stuff, Wasco, Delano, uh, Calpatria, Pelican Bay. My job is to go in and straighten it out. Yeah. And uh, learn a lot doing it. And you got to be, uh, you got to be tough. And, and, you know, and I went to, I was working in California <coughs> building a prison. And then flying to Virginia at the University of Virginia uh, Replacement Hospital, $190 million job that was in trouble. So they said, well, if you could figure this out and, and get us to break even, because they were losing tons. If you can figure out how to get us out of this, we'll give you, uh, I think, some percentage of it. I can't remember what mm -hmm. it was. I did it. My bonus was $30,000 and then flying back and forth. So I got to California and I said, hey, uh, we settled up job. Everything's done. Uh, how about that bonus? And I said, uh, well, that was a lot of money. We're going to send you a check for 3000 I said, the day that check arrives and it clears the bank is my last day that I'm working for you. Hmm. And and in between, I'd had a lot of offers to go back to Colorado to do the same thing, uh, litigation yeah. support. So <laughs> I went back to Colorado and worked for this company for about eight years uh, called Excel and uh, did litigation support, working with attorneys, trying to figure out why things got, who did it, when. Mm -hmm. So I got <coughs> pretty analytical. 
and that was uh, that was a good job. Then what I do after that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> how how old are you now in this in this I'm structure? About th- uh, 35, 40, fit maybe. Cramp. Ashley, thanks. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting to get in my 45s. Yeah. 50s. I'm getting old, older. So when did you uh, when did you move down here? Oh, that was uh, that was on the Lenora, uh, as you know, mm-hmm. is a CRNA, and she was in the army, and she's really good. Captain Lenora. Captain Lenora, and she is extremely good CRNA. Uh, she's one of those uh, 4.0 type persons wouldn't know a B if it hit her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was recruited to go to ETMC. And uh, I had started my own company called uh, Construction Research, doing really cool stuff <coughs> all over the United States. I worked in 43 states in Canada. And she said, well, I got a offer. They're putting together a, a, a CRNA program. And they heard of me, and they asked me to come down and take a look at the program. I said, sure, honey, go. Sound like fun, you know. You could do a what they call locum's tenum, which is a temporary thing. You know, just go back and forth. And, oh, yeah, no problem. So she comes down to Tyler, goes through the interview, comes back to Colorado and says, I took the job. I said, well, that's great, honey. Be commuting back and forth. She said, no, we're moving to Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving to Texas. <laughs> and my little brother's a dentist in Texas, and her older sister lives in Dallas. Uh, she was a flight attendant, and I said, oh, hell no. <laughs> I love Colorado. I, I I was only about a quarter finished doing everything I wanted to do. So I said, okay, uh, let's go down and take a look. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, this is awful. Uh, she said, well, I want to have a farm and uh, some property. I said, okay. So we looked around. Finally, after all kinds of stuff, back and forth, back and forth. Bought a place out here. You've seen it. And um, so Christmas Eve in 2004, closed on it and spent our first night on the ranch, Christmas Eve, sleeping on the floor with <laughs> with nothing. Yeah. A pillow and a blanket with nothing in the house. It was great. It was like campfire. It was fun. And so uh, gradually we built it up, and um, I resented it. I, I, I had a business back there, and I was going back and forth until 2008. And then I said, you know, I really like it here. There's really good people. Uh, I love hanging out at the farm. Uh, I, I get to do anything that I want. Yeah. Because I was still working. She's still working. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our debts were paid. Um, and I said, okay, I'll move down. So I leased the house. Uh, and then moved down, and uh, I, I don't regret it at all. Uh, there are some things about Colorado I like, elk hunting and fly fishing and skiing with my kids um, and grandkids, mm-hmm. maybe. But uh, I enjoy it here. It's fun. I like it. We get to do what we want. Yeah. Uh, she's still working. She's uh, She likes it, and uh, she's well compensated, very comfortable with the people she works around, and I said, well, maybe I could do this for a lot longer. How did you How did you get into cows? Did you ever have cattle be- prior to coming to Texas? No. My grandfather did. All my uncles did. They were all cattlemen. Um, 
my my crazy uncle Carl Spidell, he's a really wealthy guy. He had Angus cattle and Hampshire hogs, and I showed hogs during the summers uh, up in the Midwest at these big shows. Had my own shirt with my name on it, <laughs> little panel and cane. And then my grandfather had Herefords, and he was they didn't like each other. They mm -hmm. were brothers-in-law. Because mm -hmm. uh, Carl Spidell, Kick we called him, was a wild man, total wild man. Um, and my grandfather was a real conservative, wonderful, good guy, but they didn't get along. So, you know Ron Carroll? Yeah. So Ron Carroll came over to the house one day, and I was tired of growing grass. And uh, she had horses, and I said, Ron, I couldn't understand the auctioneer at the sale barn. I said, Ron, if you're at the sale barn, can you pick me up some cows, nice cows? He said, sure. What do you want to spend? I told him. Ron goes away. And Buddy Edwards, who owns the uh, sale barn at, on uh, 47th, had a uh, feed store called the Circle E in Ben Wheeler. And we used to go in there for horse feed. And I said, hey, uh, Buddy, if you're going to sale barn sometime, I can't understand the auctioneer. Why don't you pick us some, uh, pick us some, a few head of cattle, females. He said, well, what do you want to spend? I said, well, something really. So I forgot I said that to both of them. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting on the porch with Lenore in the rocking chairs. You've seen them. And, yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there rocking and just enjoying life. And a semi pulls up, cattle truck, big one. I said, what the hell is this? And we didn't have an iron gate at the time. He just pulls up the driveway, hops out, has two invoices in his hand. I said, are you George Berg? And I said, yeah. He said, where do you want these cows? <laughs> the whole load. <laughs> like, I can't remember, like 15 or 17 cows. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't you back up to that fence line? Of course, it was ratty old fence. Uh, and he let them all out. And I looked at Lenora. I said, I guess we're in the cattle business. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. But uh, it was fun. I mean, <laughs> We, we we ended up having a, we, we leased the place next door, probably had 60 to 70 cows at some point. And then uh, Dr. Tim Eberhardt, the veterinarian, I was laughing about all the money we're making at cows. That's when the, the big deal was, was going on, $3 a pound or whatever it was. And uh, he was out at the place, and I said, Tim, this is great. And he says, you know, George, what goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next week, I sold 30 I sold thir 30 head of cattle, and I bought one back, a really good one. And um, and I said, oh, this is kind of, you can make pretty good money with three good ones versus 30 sale barn cows. Yeah. And so Lenore and I both started getting interested in this purebred thing. Why? Mm. Wh what makes them so good? What makes them better? What makes them so expensive? Uh, and we just one thing led to another and believe me and you know this from doing it is there is a ton to learn ton oh, all yeah. the oh, just it's a whole, whole other language yes cattle language yeah so we just started you know and, and we, <laughs> we we tried to figure out who was really good at it mm -hmm. so we bought two from Dr. Duvall uh, who Lenora worked with 
a couple from uh, Mark Ahern, a couple from uh, Robbie and Susie Bean. Mm -hmm. uh, we were buying two from a lot of people. And I, I bought two from Chris Earl, two from, two from, two from, two from. So we got these cows around that are mm -hmm. pretty good pedigrees. And we're trying to do, uh, make improvements like everybody. Everybody's yeah. trying to push the envelope. And uh, there's factions. One guy, one group wants this, one group wants that, and one group wants this. And so you got to kind of figure out what makes sense for you. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, that's how we got into it. Uh, and now it's become uh, not obsession. It's something I enjoy. Yeah. Man, I don't have family down here. My mom said one time, she made a comment. She goes, uh, you know, sitting on the porch and watching your cows is like a, it's like looking at a, a painting that moves, <laughs> you know. It was pretty. It's true. It's true. You're sitting there admiring the beauty, and you and they constantly kind of move and drift around, and it's really cool to watch. Yeah, and and you have calves. You and your calves look great, and you kind of watch them grow. <laughs> Thank you, George. That's a huge, huge compliment <laughs> coming from you. Well, they do look good. Uh, they do look good. Thank you. And and so you know. They're like kids, you know. You raise mm -hmm. them up. Your kids, you got to pay for the rest of your life. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but cows, you can yeah. sell. Yeah. And pretty soon, you can turn them into money, or you can turn them into lunch. Yeah. Uh, but and then you get some more. Then you get the right. new ones. We just had one the other day. Uh, we were waiting for this guy, and waiting for this guy, and finally she had it. And I'm going, man, that's a coolest little little bull. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievably cool. So I need a I need a bull. Um, because I've got I've got six head of cow. I've got three three cows, two steers. Yeah. And one heifer. Yeah. I need a bull. What 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 should I look for in a bull? Uh, if I don't want to spend, uh, obviously I don't want to buy a car. Yeah. I want to I want to buy a good bull. How should I treat it? You know, what should I look for? Yeah. What's What's your advice? Well, for for a a bull. They they should have a wide front, big heavy shoulders in the front, taper back, solid hip, wide, good feet, no nothing in the knees, no in, no out, strong hip, uh, a masculine looking head, mm -hmm. a clean sheath down at the bottom, nothing hanging down, no 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 not none of this. At the risk of being insensitive, you got to look at the size of their testicles. Mm -hmm. uh, do they hang correctly? Are they shaped well? Then, then you got to talk. You got to think about who am I buying this from? Do if you're going to buy a registered bull, you want to take a look at the papers and have the breeder explain to you why he thinks it's a good bull. For anybody, particularly Angus, if you're breeding Angus to Angus, what you're kind of doing mm -hmm. is you want to have calving ease, high marbling, good ribeye, low fat. Um, now the kind of the cool thing is uh, a maternal index. But the but the endo is a dollar C, which is a comprehensive evaluation of the cow's or bull's overall worth. That's kind of the new fad thing is dollar C. It used to be dollar B, which is a terminal characteristic. That means they're going to make great steak. They may not reproduce real well, mm -hmm. but they're going to have a, you're going to make good steers. 
cut them, send them to the send them to the market. For you, because you want to kind of build up your own herd, uh, a maternal bull, uh, calving ease is a good is a good thing. High marbling because you you have some plans for mm-hmm. uh, having good solid yeah. grass fed beef. So marbling is real important. Uh, the other thing now is high growth. It's on the on the little cavalcade of indexes and and properties. YW that indicates how quickly did they go from wean weight to yearling weight, and if that's a steep pitch, that's you want a fast grower. Mm-hmm. You also want heifers that that come into heat regularly. They come into heat early if when they're young. Uh, you want to bred the first time. You don't want to fool around if you're using artificial insemination. You don't want to. You don't want to have to go through that cycle yeah. too many times, because you got to handle them uh, at least four times. Run them through the chute four times. Yeah. Shots, cedars, the whole thing. So uh, structure, and I and I think if I asked you were a, uh, a linebacker and a good one, if you were a coach now. Mm-hmm. And you were uh, evaluating linebackers. Could you walk out uh, either in a locker room or out in the field and take a look at someone's physique and say, probably? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with cows. Same thing with a bull. Mm-hmm. He's got to look like a man. He's got to act like a man. He's got a big, broad chest. Mm-hmm. Um and the rest. <laughs> yeah. And and he's got to have a libido. Yeah. He can be... Uh, he can have all the equipment in the world, but if he doesn't have the desire, uh, well, then who cares? Uh, he's not going to be excited about the cows. Can't be too fat, can't be too thin. But uh, the 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 back, the hooks and pins, the, the, when you buy them, it should be filled out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, shot records, vaccinations, was he taken care of? Right now, the kind of the cool thing is looking at their feet. Is it at an angle, and are the toes like this? The toes should be like that far apart. So not crossed. Not crossed, and at a 45-degree angle. So there's about what it should look like. Yeah. And uh, before that, the the old guys kind of know about that, but now they're evaluating it. Yeah. I mean, you can grade, uh, and I've got some that are really good feet and some that, well, I don't know. Yeah. So that's 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 my kind of take on Lone Star beer. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get back to that. The uh, and I've had my steers on their mamas for two hundred and something days, or what's what's the two period? Two hundred five. Two hundred and five days, and I need to I need to separate them now, just so the mom can get some weight and and get pregnant again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, to build up her strength so she's not being pulled down by the calf. Yeah. Imagine having to make a couple gallons of milk a day mm-hmm. and have this little ingrate following you around hitting you. Yeah. And um, they get real rude and tough. But, but but when I separate them, they're going to be crying. Uh, they're they're going to be trying to bust through the fence. And they may. Yeah. Uh, and they're strong and they're willful. But eventually, uh, they'll get used to being by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's good for the mothers. Yeah. The, the, it's painful for the mothers because they're still making milk, and it hurts. Yeah. Uh, it's worse for the mothers than it is for the steers. But it's uh, it's what we do. 
it's analogous to sending your kid off to college. Yep. Nobody wants to do it, but you kind of want to do it. Yeah. But you kind of don't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, and you're coming up. You're and then okay. how long after, so 205 days, I'm going to separate them. How long before I can butcher these steers and, and turn them into steaks and, and uh, eat them? I'd say 1,100 pounds. How do, and how am I going to know that? Well, you're gonna, they're going to be big. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to look like really good skiers. I think the thing that is to, to send them in prematurely is kind of a mistake, 800, 900 pounds. One of the ways you could do it, uh, and we can have somebody you know, help you out, is weigh them. Take them to Mort's Livestock Exchange, and they'll mm -hmm. weigh them for free. Mm -hmm. um, on Fridays, sometimes you can take them to uh, Champion Genetics, and they'll let you mm -hmm. uh, weigh them there. I'm a good customer, so how? So they need to be the size of their moms. Yes. Yep. And once they're that size, then it's just whenever you want. There's no time. No. There's no time uh, crunch. I'm looking at. I'm just need to get them big. Yep. Well, there, there, to to some degree, there is a time crunch because. For instance, Bill mm -hmm. is having it. He's gonna he's gonna take uh, a bunch to mm -hmm. uh, slaughter. Well, he's having to go to six different processing plants and butchers to get all his done because the booking now is backed up six months. If for instance, if you're gonna go to Emory, a really good place, Whispering Pines, six months waiting list. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take those to Whispering Pines and Bill has a better recommendation. Um, you need to start thinking about getting your name on the reservation in advance of six months. Yeah. Six months. Because uh, one of the really good ones is called uh, Circle 7. They, they, they sell their, state, their beef now commercially. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, in fact, I've seen some of theirs on feed right now, and they're really good. But uh, And it's a really new kind of growth market um beef house and tyler uh, bear creek uh up north circle seven uh i could probably if i thought about it long enough name five mm -hmm. people that are doing it and they're they're being kind of successful and the kind of cool thing is uh you know where your beef came from yeah. if, I, if i buy some steaks from you which i'd like to do uh, i know that they were well taken care of and uh on good grass yeah Ashley and I said that she's like, I just want the happiest cows, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> our cows are happy. They like <laughs> all they do is swim all day, tell jokes. They get feed, they get all the grass they want, uh, and uh, I think I want to be a cow. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good gig. So I think I'm gonna put all the cows on this side and leave the two steers over here in the smaller, you know, so I can keep an eye on them. You, do you close your gate regularly? Yeah, most of the time. I knew you were coming. I left it open for you. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, I think the cows would do better over there. Or yeah. you could take them all the way to the south side and put them in those. Uh, yeah. In those. Uh, you got. I, I got. I can. I, they can be. They can have access to that, too. They yeah. can. They can. I'll leave it all open. Yeah. I, uh, I built 60 feet of pipe fence, uh, five rail. I drilled right through it. I don't weld it to the outside mm -hmm. right through. 60 feet cost $1,500. So can you imagine what yours is worth? Wow. Yeah. Yes. A ton of money. Uh, that's that's a great investment. The uh, the next project on that is, is sandblasting it 
and then treating it and then painting it, which I'd, I'm not looking forward to doing, but I need to paint it all before it rusts away. Ooh, rough. Yeah. I've done it. It's a terrible. Uh, I take a, a like an old rag or like one of those mitts. Mitt, mitt, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Something that I don't like to do. I don't like to do that. No. Motion. No. Um, all right. So what, what advice do you have for somebody, some kid in high school that wants to be a Marine? Uh, you gotta, you gotta want to, uh, you got to want to embrace what's going to happen to you, that you are going to have a four year commitment to the United States of America. You got to be able to serve honorably. You can't be a poopy head, uh, but you are going to be absolute. And so are your parents going to be absolutely stunned at how disciplined how organized and how clear-headed you uh, will become. So any of the laying on the couch, playing with your computer stuff and doing video games, your life is over. Mm -hmm. You won't do that uh, in, unless you, after you get out of boot camp. And if you're selective about being in the Marine Corps, you can, there's all kinds of cool stuff. I have a real good friend named uh, Rick Swartz, whose son was floundering around at the University of Colorado, didn't know what he wanted to do, ended up joining the Marine Corps to the dismay of his father, mm -hmm. who's a president of a huge company. It's, I mean, mm -hmm. big, like $2.5 billion company. His dad's the president of it. So he joins the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. pretty sharp. They put him through uh, computer school, and now he's in uh, all of the secret uh, cool computer stuff. Um, so he and his dad said when he gets out, uh, he'll go to work for the CIA or a private contractor or I'm good. Thanks. Um, and he his life is, will never be the same. Wonderful kid and has just absolutely done marvelous. So there's a lot of opportunities uh, in the Marine Corps but it remains the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, it's still yeah. hard. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's like same thing. Uh, what would you say if somebody going to West Point? Uh, get ready. Yeah, you got to want to do it. Yeah. Because you'll never last. No. Uh, yeah, you got to you got to embrace the change, um, and realize that. Uh, yeah, you got to embrace the change because they're going to change you, and they're going to improve you. Um, uh, I, I When I ended up going to school, college, after the Marine Corps, I had study groups because I was doing a lot of technical stuff, uh, calculus, physics, engineering stuff. And I had people more than once say, you're the most self-disciplined person I've ever met because mm -hmm. I could study for hours. And my roommate uh, who joined the Marine Corps together was named Dave Box. He ended up being a linguist spoke every single dialect of Vietnamese. Well, we were friends and always stayed friends. Ended up, end up as roommates in college. Well, he was studying accounting and he could stay up 24 hours nonstop because he was a scout sniper. Mm -hmm. And he just, sleep deprivation, no problem. I mean, about, about 14, 18 hours into this deal, I'm, see you Dave, I'm hitting a rack. Yeah. Dave could study all night long. End up being a really successful guy. 
but uh, so he benefited from it. Um, you know, and so you think it's a good move for somebody? Uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta. There's a certain kind of person that's attracted to it. I I hope that if they see themselves as level-headed, that it's not uh, their choice of last resort. Mm-hmm. That they kind of want to do it. Some people say, "Well, I failed at this, I failed at that, I failed at this. Might as well join the Marine Corps." <laughs> okay, yeah. guess what? You're probably gonna <laughs> goof off in there too. Um, so there's kind of a solid sort of Texas, Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, Western Slope of Colorado, Montana kind of guys that are got that sort of outdoorsy, rough kind of attitude. Um, or they can join the Navy. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I love the uh, camaraderie. You know, of course, Marines make fun of the Army, and oh, we yeah. make fun of the Navy and the Air Force, and that's 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 a fun thing. George mm-hmm. and I always poke at each other. Um, yeah, you you and my wife gang up on each yeah. other. <laughs> she was an Army captain, so are you. I said, yeah. man, I'm outnumbered. <laughs> well, the old thing is, uh, if if you see six sailor, if you see six Marines beating up a sailor, you make it seven. but i never i never believe that the people that i uh, that i enshrine are navy corpsmen army medics walk on water yeah those guys are skills uh and lenora knows a bunch of uh, army doctors Mm -hmm. Uh, and i knew a bunch of navy doctors one way or the other and uh, man oh man they are good, really, really good. She was really good friends with the chief army research surgeon who studied wounds, how to fix wounds. And uh, she spent a lot of time at Walter Reed down at the Army Health Science mm-hmm. thing in, in wherever it was, San, San Antonio. But she spent a lot of time, she was at West Point, spent a lot of time around military medicine and uh, she's got nothing but compliments to say about them. I mean, they're you don't get away with a lot of nonsense. Yeah, uh, they're they're awful good. I don't know what your interaction with them was, but my my experience is whoa. Now, Navy nurses, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> they're just yeah. cruel. We had some we had some really good medics with us too, and um, of course, there were actual doctors on our outposts. Yeah. On some of them, Whoa. of course, the big ones. And uh, but uh, tell me about CrossFit. When did you start with me? I I uh, I, I started in nineteen two thousand thirteen. Yep. And uh, I was working out at a local gym. I wasn't getting anywhere. So Lenore and I were riding around, and I saw a sign that you had up. It's because boot camp. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, I'm not doing this very good. I wasn't even working up a sweat. Yeah. So I said, well, let's pull in there. She said, yeah, let's pull in there. So I <laughs> pulled in and uh, walked in. You were in there. And um, I was going to Cody, Wyoming, high-altitude elk hunt. It was the coolest thing in the in the world. It was a draw license, mm-hmm. rare. And it was a four-person, 400-pack trip. <coughs> Three hunters, rather. Three hunters and a staff of six. A wrangler, a cook head guide and a personal guide so this is a big deal but i knew it was out altitude it was all horseback for like 10 days so i 
So I walked in and I said, uh, hey, uh, do you know anything about high altitude training? <laughs> and Sam says, come here. Like, I'm thinking, look, I'm a senior here. Yeah. The, answer to me, <laughs> the answer is yes, sir, but <laughs> let's get over that. So, Sam, so you were pointing to some of the stuff. See this, do this, this. I said, he said, do you know what I did in Afghanistan? I said, no. He said, I trained people for high altitude. <laughs> I went, oh, my God. I found it. This is it. Yeah. So uh, I, le I said, yeah. I said, uh, when can I start? And he said, Monday. So this is like Saturday or something. So I walked back to the truck, and I said, Lenore. She said, Lenore said, well, what did you think? And I said, yeah, it's really cool, man. That guy's great. Uh, when are you going to start? I said, we're starting yeah. Monday. <laughs> so we started there Monday, and I think, well, I kind of okay shape, you know, sort of maybe almost. Well, that was wonderful. And I don't think um, it was great. I mean, I loved it. I was doing push-ups. Uh, you were very encouraging. Uh, remember, I had to climb, yep. so we got the the your pack on from the ranger school, yep. and loaded up with weights. And I walked around with that pack that on, Alice pack, yeah. yeah. And uh, and you accommodated what I wanted to do. Now Lenora is another thing; <laughs> you just beat the hell out of her, which is great. But she was getting in shape; she yeah. loved it. How old were you when you started CrossFit? Uh, 2013. Yeah, 2013 minus 72, 13. I don't know how old I was, probably 60 or something. 65. Yeah, 65. Yeah. I'm never good at math. And uh, so I was 65 years old, going to the elk hunt of my life. And I'd hunted a lot of elk in, in Colorado, but nothing like this. So uh, I was in camp with the, the head guide was a guy from Cody, Wyoming. The personal guide was the sheriff of Cody, and he had been a uh, Marine Corps recon guy just back. Mm -hmm. He's a sheriff of Cody, Wyoming. Uh, the other guy was just kind of a regular old guide. The other guy in camp was the 75th Ranger Regiment medic. Wow. And so it's me, um, a Mormon elder, and, and <laughs> the Army medic. And so the first night in camp, uh, I was in great shape, and I thank you very much because I was ready to go. Yeah. I, sta awesome. I, I started like in May or June, and I had to leave for Cody October 10th. I quit October 9th. Yeah. That's when I quit. So I'm, I, I was in great shape, man. I was ready to go. So we got horseback for hours up into the mountains. And uh, the first night in camp, we're going around introducing ourselves. And I had gone to rifles only. And learned how to shoot long range, thousand yards with a 300 wind mag. So I'm pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm real comfortable. I'm in good shape. I know how to shoot, uh, and I've done this before. So I'm in the camp, and uh, we're going around. I'm sitting in this kind of like canvas chair, sunk down, and we're going around the circle, introducing ourselves. And uh, finally, it was my turn. And uh, the ranger guys, I'm 75th Ranger Regiment, trained medic. You know, blah, blah, blah. Been to El Salvador. Been all over the world. 400 jumps. And he did. Mm -hmm. Halo. I mean, this guy was nasty. He was about 6'5", 255 pounds. Shouldn't have been there because he's too big for a horse. <laughs> so, I can't say this on your show, but sure. I said, uh, well, I said, well, I'm Marine. I, you know, I, I went to this thing. 
So the guy gets up from his chair, walks all the way around the table. He's 6'5". I'm 6'5", 11 now because yeah. I shrunk. So he stands over me and he says, I'm tougher than you. I'm thinking, oh, God, this is great. You know, uh, you know, this guy's giving me cr crap for the first time in my life. And uh, so I stood up and I got, you know, looked him up in his face. And I've told you this before. I said, uh, a thousand Marines will shit today and wipe their ass with a Green Beret. Because he had been a Green <laughs> And then I said, I'd rather have my sister in a whorehouse than my brother in the 82nd Airborne. <laughs> and he cracked up. He said, man, are we going to have fun? <laughs> And we did. And he and I got the elk on. It was a team deal. He got the first shot. I got the second. Um, on the last day, we were at 9,000 feet, and I was crawling up a hill in the snow going, thank God I went to CrossFit, CrossFit, <laughs> CrossFit, <laughs> CrossFit. And I'm crawling through the snow trying to get in position because we'd seen these monster elks, 200 uh, I mean, huge. Yeah. Under three. F I, I can't remember the size, but they were big. I mean, yeah. you've seen them. They're huge. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, he and I made our guys hunt together because we knew where they were. They just weren't taking us there because it's so difficult. <clears throat> so they all came down. He shot, I shot, and that was the end of that deal. But uh, I was thinking, had I, had I not worked out with you, uh, I probably would have had a heart attack. And I probably wouldn't have not been able to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, j just the ride in alone was brutal because there was five stream crossings in the middle of winter in a snowstorm. Yeah, and you and you had to and you had to be uh, you had to be in good shape. Stuff a, a typical sixty-five year old cannot do. No, no, or, or wouldn't do. Forty-five year old couldn't do it. Forty-five year old couldn't do it. No, uh, and and uh, you know that that was it. Really was. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't ever have to hunt again. I'm done. It's like hitting a hole in one. Yes, I don't. Yeah. I don't have to do it again. I don't want to because I play around. I play around with cows, and and I'm pretty. Uh, I like it. It's fun. I, so I don't have to go kill something. Yeah. In fact, I saw some nice deer on the back of our place, and 22 hogs riding around with Lenore the other day, and I had no, other than getting rid of the pigs. Yeah. <coughs> I had no urge to go kill a deer yeah i don't either yeah you I, know, I will sell a hunt i will let somebody pay me to come yeah you know for money reasons but as far as me killing a deer i don't care i don't care to do it again you well know? if you've ever hunted people i mean it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's kind of a kind of anticlimatical you know that's very true you feel you feel sorry for it yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah getting shot at you is not cool is not cool yeah when you what we got to kind of quit drinking beer here because i gotta go home but if you see it when a bullet goes by you, mm -hmm. you one of the, th the things that goes through your mind is that thing has got so much power you can feel it that you see that getting hit by one of those it's got to be just horrible because the amount of energy in some of those bullets is just enormous yeah. especially in ak for instance i mm -hmm. mean they're just, just 308 yeah oh. pretty much oh yeah screaming at you and you think good lord no wonder people die with gunshot, rifle shots versus a pistol. Pistol yeah. probably survived, but a rifle, eh, not yeah. going to do it. No, not r not really, unless it hits you in the finger. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, or in your case, <laughs> that's what you were shot with. Was was it not an AK-47? Through, through the leg. Yeah, through the leg. Yeah. 
but I didn't I didn't have chance to understand how much energy was in it. Mm -hmm. It's just boom, boom, in, out, and that was it. And you kind of go, oh man, what was that? That was with a it's kind of a whole bunch of stuff all at once. Yeah, I've had that dream, you know, where I I got shot. Everything goes through your head. You said you immediately thought about your mom and how, yep. how upset she's going to be. Yes, that was it. And and I had nice teeth, don't now, yeah. but I had nice teeth. And I said, man, that's too bad my teeth got yeah. all blown up, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, you well. Were, and you were in ants. Yeah, that at the end of the, when I got out, uh, I crawled myself out. And the other guys went in to get the, uh, mm -hmm. Joey and the other uh, Vietnamese army, or Vietnamese uh, Marines. Uh, and I laid down in an ant mound, yeah. and and I didn't realize it because you're numb. Yeah. And then then your your body starts waking up. It's uh, hydraulic shock or whatever you want to call it. And you kind of look, oh man. Um, and then you get in the helicopter. And the funniest thing was, getting the helicopter and they're piled with all these squishy bodies, and you're coming out. And you get off, and they drop me on the tarmac, carrying <laughs> you know the litter, yeah, the litter to the yeah. hospital. And I, Oh man, could this get worse? So I'm in the uh, uh, the evacuation hospital, and they cut all your clothes off, and you're laying there with a sheet over you, and you're thinking, God, this really hurts. This is really starting to hurt. Yeah, this is bad. And I said, and then they give you some uh, shot of morphine yeah. or whatever it was, and I said, Man, this is okay. It's not bad. But then they can't do it too much more. Yeah. So you're done. It wears off. And yeah. you think, Well, uh, pretty soon. I'll be in that surgical suite. Yeah. And then they wheeled me around the gurney, and there was about 55 people. Oh, my goodness. People ahead of me. Waiting to get in. <laughs> yeah, and they're going, take a number. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? You know, so I'm thinking, oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is nuts. So finally I get in there, and the Navy surgeon looks down, man, and says, what happened to you? And I said, oh, man, I had a bad day. And he says, what's, what's going on with that tooth of yours? <laughs> Front tooth was sticking out. Yeah. He said, well, let me see if I can work on that for you. He takes a pair of pliers and cranks it around flat. Oh. He said, that ought to be a little bit better. He said, well, uh, you're going to have to count to 10 for me backwards. Because we're going to, and then the, the mask comes over your face. Mm -hmm. And then they put an IV in you. And he says, all right, count to 10. I go, 10, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up, and that was the end of that. And I can't remember anything after that. And then they send you to uh, an Air Force hospital, which is the flight hospital. That means you're on the tarm or you're you're, yeah. you're leaving the country. Uh, and they put a little tag on you, and they wash you up. And you're supposed to wash yourself. And I'm pretty bitter. <laughs> I'm pretty mean, actually. Yeah. And I'm giving people grief right and left. It's pretty funny. And uh, different breed of cat. Yeah. You know, uh, you are a different breed of cat <laughs> altogether. <laughs> so, what's your favorite? You come to the nine o'clock class typically in Canton. Yep, I love it. What's your? What do you do? What's your? What's your routine? My my my. Well, I follow the routine. I do what the coaches tell me to do. Modified. I call it uh, highly modified age adjustment. Yeah. And whatever you. Because you're seventy two. Seventy two, going on seventy three. I'm on Ashley, and I have the same birthday. She's 37 years younger than I am. So I read the board, and I say, okay, uh, I can modify that, or Ashley or Brian or, mm -hmm. or um, Adrian comes around, or you do. Yeah. Sorry, how are we going to modify this? How are we going to make this so you can do it? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, 
I injured myself doing some stupid thing a couple years ago, and so my shoulder's a little tweaked. So, okay, let's adjust this. So today we had to do the um, deal. Uh, wait, morning, good mornings. Good mornings, yep. So I couldn't do them because my shoulder's stiff. Mm -hmm. So I, I did this way. I did them bending over. Then Ashley says, well, you like deadlift a lot. Why don't you do them like a deadlift? Because it's the same group. Because I'd asked her the other day, I said, what constitutes the core mm -hmm. of your muscles? Said, well, it's a whole bunch of groups. So she had me doing uh, deadlifts, uh, and I was doing the motion of a deadlift. So I could engage the my quad. Hamstrings. Hamstrings, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was. <laughs> and then... Uh, I like doing the pull-ups, but I do them on the ring, and then I do tons of sit-ups. I like sit-ups a lot. Yeah. My favorite thing is deadlifts. Yeah, deadlifts are great. You know, they sound terrible, but, you know, it's your hamstrings, your glutes, and your spinal muscles. And it's literally the hamstrings are how you stand up. It's how you walk. It's And they as you get older, they get decrepit, and they get weak, and you can't get up off the ground, and you can't get up off the toilet, and you can't run anymore. You have to hobble around. Because you're so worn out in the back, and people neglect the back of their body when they're talking about strength training, and they do the muscles that are on the front. Well, they do the quads. Well, the quads are not going to help you at all <laughs> if you don't have any hamstrings. Yeah. And um, remember when we had the tornadoes, and you and a bunch of CrossFitters went out and rescued a lot of people, carrying them out of the tr disaster on doors. And right. one of the one of the one of the one of the things that you said was there's a lot of people that just can't help themselves in an emergency because they're out of shape. Yeah. Had it not been for you guys and some of the firemen and some of the police officers, they they wouldn't have made it. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. And so I tell that to, to, to Laura to encourage her and anybody else's. you got to be able to help yourself. And that's one of the reasons I go there. Plus, plus, I like all the people. They're pretty. There's some nice people there. Yeah. Um, Torgy's a little. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> She's been giving me grief about yeah. my socks. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. socks like that. So uh, good people. Uh, uh, there's certain things. Uh, certainly, it's not bodybuilding. It's strengthening. Yeah. Um, with good, solid individuals. Uh, and Bill, I met Bill there. Yeah. And John. Torgy's dad, Bill Brooks, John Lewandowski. Yeah. And then Virgil Melton's going to be coming back eventually. Yeah. He's going to be my next ho uh, next uh, guest on the podcast. Yeah, a good guy. Yes, he is. But uh, John, John was an FBI agent, a U.S. Marshal, uh, and a Marine Major, and spoke Russian, and ended up uh, with you, not you, mm -hmm. but in Afghanistan. Uh, and is this a solid, hard-working guy? Yeah. And uh, tough to keep up with, uh, but a good, good man. So I met John, Bill, certainly you and your wife. Um, just a lot of really good people, solid. That's that's p part of the thing is I consider now that I'm retired that it's kind of like my job. Yeah. Get up in the morning, uh, take a shower. Uh, you don't want to be the stinky old man at CrossFit, so you take a shower before you come. Mm -hmm. And uh, we thank you for that. Yeah, you're <laughs> more than welcome. <laughs> and and, uh, <clears throat> and then go home and do your chores. Uh, I get up super early to do my chores. I go there, and if there's stuff I need to do, 
uh, than I do it. Plus, I like all the coaching in terms of diet uh, and eating habits. I, like you'd said, uh, it's 80% what you eat, 20% what you do at the gym. Mm-hmm. And Lenora works in almost exclusively in gastroenterology. And she sees the disasters, the things that people do to themselves with food. Yeah. 400,000 people a year die because they eat uh, the wrong stuff. Right. And primarily sugar. Primarily sugar. And it's it's the uh, slowest form of poison. Yeah. Or could be your healthiest form of medicine. Yeah. Eat. It's n- and it's simple. It's hard to do, though, because it's an addiction. But if you eat stuff that come from a farm, you know, beef, chicken, fish, and you eat vegetables and fruits, nuts and seeds, yeah, little bit of starch, and no sugar, you've got it hacked. But it's the hardest thing to do is to quit the sugar. Yeah, I mean, sugar's in this beer. We're drinking beer, but you know, <laughs> we want to. Li- Let's have some more sugar. <laughs> we want to. We want to live a little bit. Right? Yeah, but <coughs> people are drinking cokes with their meals, and they're 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 finding themselves not eating any meat, and it's all carbs and. You know, and we, you know, we say off, get off the couch, get off the carbs. And if you do that, it's pretty simple. The solution is very simple. Yeah. But it's just not easy. It's not easy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the Marines. Um, We're all simple. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are all simple. (laughs) Crayon. Uh, Just pass the crayons. I'll tell you what. What else do you want to talk about? Well, I think it's probably time to. Let's talk about what's coming up. You have, let's oh, talk yeah. about the sale. Yes, that's a really cool thing. Um, a lot of us uh, have been working really hard to get the, Tangus, the Texas Angus Association fall sale mm-hmm. to come to Canton. And it is a big deal. There's people bringing cattle from Kansas, Montana, all over Texas. Some of the best breeders in the United States are going to be there. And it's at Mort's Livestock Exchange. And Paul Mort is a veteran. Yeah. Navy veteran, so he's a good guy. Where's that at? It's on Highway 64, just outside Canton, about four miles from Ben Wheeler on Highway 64. Okay. New facility, doing a great job. Uh, September 19th will be the Capital Angus, uh, Aaron Duval and his son George. But they're both really named George, but they mm-hmm. it gets confusing. They'll be there September 19th with a really good sale. Then October 10th at noon. Uh, some terrific cattle are going to be there. All solid, well-prepared, beautiful cattle, uh, all prepared for sale. You'll know everything about those cattle when they come in the ring. You know all of their data, vaccinations, uh, complete protocol. The general manager of the Angus Association has reviewed every single one of them, Mm -hmm. including the four that I have in there. He's made recommendations. Uh, about how to improve them, but they have been screened and filtered, and uh, you're going to get some, anybody that goes is going to see or buy some beautiful replacement heifers and probably at a really good price. What, uh, do we have to register for this sale? Well, you, the only thing, on the day of the sale, you get a sale number. Mm-hmm. You get a little thing with your, you, you sign a ticket, they keep half, you keep half. You've got a bidding number that says, uh, you know, 183. And if you were going to buy something, you, there'd be ring men that'd be yeah, looking at right. you. You know, just but, but we don't have to register beforehand. Oh, no. 
he could yeah. do it sale day and get it get a number and and uh it, it's it's a blast because it's it's fast and furious a lot of good uh there's going to be uh food yeah uh you just see some really good cattle and some good people and one of the things that that um uh, a lot of us were instrumental getting the sale here you, you. yeah i was <laughs> let's face it but because it's four miles from my house and like <laughs> and and Canton, this whole area is the epicenter for some extremely good cows. Lesketer, yeah. 5T. They're down your road. They're not two miles from here. Mm-hmm. Ahern, Gabriel, Sylvie, Bear Creek, uh, Beans. Uh, there, there are a lot of really good Angus cattle in this area. And people don't know about it. So I call a lot of uh, the... Economic Development Board was mm-hmm. in the newspaper yesterday. Gonna put some ads on the radio. It's just it's it's uh it's. And I may not buy anything. I know I'm going to sell some. I don't care yeah. what they sell for. I just want them to go. But uh, you just get to see good cattle, good people, in a really nice place with. And I think Paul Mort Paul Mort and his wife are just wonderful people. Where do you somebody go to? So September nineteenth, where do we go to find more information? Uh, on the on the web, Capital Angus, that would be a good one to go look at uh, what Capital Angus is bringing to the sale, because they're represented by a guy named Chris Earl. I bought two cows from Chris Earl there in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. We're partners on them, um, and I bought two cows from Aaron and George Duvall before, a long time ago, uh, and they have a good program. They, they have solid, solid cows. Now, October 10th, you're going to see their cows plus. Yeah. So, but September 19th at Mort's is a, a good warm-up. It's going to be – So gonna September be, 19th and October 10th. Yeah. yeah. September 19th is a private sale, production sale. October 10th is the Texas Angus Association members selling their top, <coughs> their top cows. And like I say, uh, they're coming down from Montana and Kansas because they're members of the association. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some good ones there. In fact, I bought, I bought three at Texas Angus Association sales before, and a bull. That bull I'm working right now is, uh, is a damn good one. So um, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it, it's nice that it's in Canton. It's nice that yeah. it's in this area. <coughs> Last year it was at Commerce and it was at the university and it was uh, in a horse barn. Yeah. This is a sale facility specifically designed for selling livestock. That's okay. what it's for. It's all. It's going to be on TV. It's CCI. So, so what are you doing with Berg Angus as far as the public? Are you selling cows? Are you selling yep. beef? Yeah, we're selling we're selling replacement heifers mainly, and I have five bulls, real good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are going to Ladera. Ladera is on feed. They the program. They start them out on uh, one ration for a little while. It gets them going. Then they put them on another ration. We're trying to build muscle. Then they get them on another ration. A lot of people make the mistake of feeding bulls just to get them fat. Well, Joel Hopper has a as a dietitian or nutritionist designed this feed mix, so it starts them off. This way, this way, and this way. And they'll be there for 
five months as yearlings. And in five months, they'll be 16 months old or 15 months old. They'll be buff. It's like going to CrossFit. It's CrossFit for calf or bulls. <laughs> you know, they're going to yeah. come out there yeah. uh, looking uh, with muscle. So um, that's a great way to buy bulls. Um, uh, I bought a bull at the Texas Angus Association, similar to this thing, mm-hmm. only it was at Texas A&M. And yeah. I bought a bull there that I've been looking for this bull for three years or one like it. And I saw him come up, and I went, oh, my God. I didn't bring my checkbook. And I went over to the guy that brought it down there. I said, if I buy that bull, will you deliver it to my place? Because you're going back. He lives in Wills Point, right, yeah. Mark Ahern. He said, sure. So I went over to the sale manager, um, Susie Bean. I said, Susie, I don't have my checkbook. I got nothing. She said, oh, you're good for it. Who cares? You know, yeah. Let it rip. So <laughs> I told this before. I was sitting in there, and I wanted this bull. So I looked around. I said, go ahead and bid if you want. But <laughs> I'm looking them off. Uh, so I got him and brought him home. And he's been he's got five bulls on the ground mm-hmm. right now, and they're good ones. Um and uh and he's he's the kind of bull I described to you. Yeah. Well maybe I can get one of those five well, on the ground. Well, we'll I'd we'll be see. more than happy to we'll see. Really, yeah. Uh the genetics coming out of that boy, uh so when they were announcing that bull, the guys who who give you a commentary on this bull, the yeah. Montana ranchman and, you know, Basin Angus. And he said, if you've ever seen Basin Lucy 1037, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 1037 is one of the most beautiful, legendary cows in the Angus breed. She's gorgeous. Well, I got her son. <laughs> yeah. And she she is beautiful. And and the, and the baby's coming out of there like, you got to be kidding me. These guys are great. Thick, thick, uh, big in the hip, good feet. Everything we described before, they got it. Big balls. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> Huge balls. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there, George. Well, it's been, uh, been fun. Thank you so much for sharing your story with, uh, with us. I'm going to have you back uh, here in the, ne- in the future. Um, we'll talk more thank you. <laughs> thank you for the service, your service to our country, though. I appreciate that. Well, I want to I want to thank you for the service. For you. you did a great job, for your country. And anybody goes to West Point's way well, up in my book. Well, and and you, know. you do a great job for the community. And I sincerely believe that. And a lot of other people do. Uh, so you serve your country, you serve your community, and you're doing a good job. And yeah. I like your kid named George. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come <Thank> on, you. <laughs> appreciate it. So, George Berg, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have a kid that's thinking about in the military they might want to listen to this so please share this podcast if you would like to sponsor this podcast as well let me know reach out to me vzfit at me.com send me a message on social media or give me a call Uh, my phone number is public Um, thank you so much and you guys have a great night bye bye